Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01 and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to you. Hey, well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, A special thank you to Pastor Craig for allowing me to come and share God's Word. Speaking of God's Word, if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles with me, I will be referring to the Scriptures quite a bit, and it would be helpful if you had it right there in front of you. Uh, Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 45, and we're going to go verse by verse here in a moment. But before we do, I would love to share just a little bit of my life with you. A few of the things that uh, I got to witness as a kid growing up when it comes to sports moments, epic sports moments and from my life, um, pretty much. And uh, I'd love to share with you that I was able to go um, to Super Bowl 32. My dad took me, and uh, it was an epic moment. It was the Green Bay Packers versus uh, the Denver Broncos. Uh, And uh, we got to see John Elway in his finest moment, I guess you could say. In fact, during that Super Bowl, John Elway had a horrible game up until this final moment where uh, they needed a first down and he dives for it and he gets hit and he, I got a picture of it, this epic moment where he does like this helicopter in the air. And uh, it was that first down that helped them secure the wind. And it was an epic moment. And I remember You know, I was about 12 at the time, just being in the stands, just going crazy after the Broncos had won that game, and it was was an epic moment. Uh, Another moment, uh, I grew up in Texas, and so we always went to Texas Ranger baseball games. Our house was only about 15 minutes away from the stadium, and uh, I was able to see Nolan Ryan, and uh, what an amazing pitcher he was, and how fast he threw those fastballs, and how great of a competitor he was, and it was during one game that... uh, I tell you, got awful intense as he competed for his seventh no-hitter. And I remember sitting in the seat, and as it came to that ninth inning, and uh, one by one, he struck out those final guys. And I tell you, it was a huge celebration to see Nolan Ryan do something that's incredible. Seventh, his seventh no-hitter. Very special moment. And then to the basketball world. I think as a kid, I think I had the privilege to see Michael Jordan. And he was incredible. Got to see him live once, but also got to see him on TV all the time uh, competing for championships and how great Michael Jordan was. The best in all time. I know LeBron and Kobe would like to challenge that, but I believe Michael was the best. And it was amazing to see growing up, and I'm sure you're aware. And so that's my testimony when it comes to some amazing sports events. And I at least got to share that with you. And as we think about today is Pentecost. And Pentecost is about that very thing, that we can be witnesses. As I shared with you, the witness of being at those sporting events, as we think about Pentecost, I want you to think about Acts 1.8. And it said, Jesus told his disciples to gather together and to wait for the Holy Spirit. And the disciples may have been hurled together because of what Jesus said, or they could have been together because they were fearful of their lives of what would happen to their destiny. Would they end up like Jesus on the cross? What was going to be next for the disciples? And so they were gathered together praying when all of a sudden, just as the Holy Spirit promised in Acts 1, 
that he would send the Holy Spirit upon them and they would receive power, check this out, to be a witness. The Holy Spirit came upon them in power and made them a witness. See, we consider Peter for a moment. When we think of Peter, we know that he is the one that denied Jesus. And think about this, he denied Jesus to a little girl. But after the Holy Spirit comes upon him in power, he then stands to a crowd of men and women and declares a powerful gospel presentation with such conviction. He faced his fears. He was emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit to speak a powerful message. Incredible. So the Holy Spirit does. It makes us witnesses. We, we also consider Thomas, doubting Thomas, who said that unless he sees with himself his eyes, he won't believe that Jesus is real. Well, then he gets to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in his own life. And would, Did you know that he would later preach the gospel in Asia and eventually would die by the spear for the sake of the gospel? See, these disciples we know of, these men, I mean, these guys were ordinary men. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of their lives, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them, they become the backbone of the church. They take on this extraordinary task to tell the gospel into the entire world, including the mightiest empire ever known. And they preach repentance, faith in the risen Jesus Christ. It's incredible what these men did for Jesus. How did they do so? By the power of the Holy Spirit. They were great witnesses. They were because of the Holy Spirit. And so it leads me to a question I want to ask you this morning. How are you doing with that? What's your witness to your coworkers? What's your witness like to your neighbors, to your family, to your friends? How are we doing with that? How are we doing at loving our neighbor as ourselves? How are we doing about sharing the good news with our words? You know, to live as a witness, we must be about our actions as well as our words. There comes a point where we have to tell the good news. We have to come to a point where we express our faith as well as live our faith out. You know, the fruits of the Spirit, uh, is your life full of the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruits of walking in the Spirit. Is your life full of that? Well, the good thing is as we look to Joseph this morning, as we step back and take a look at his story, what we're going to find is that Joseph was an amazing witness. And in fact, there are five things that Joseph did that made him effective. That made him an effective, effective minister of the gospel. First, we find this, is that Joseph spoke their language. Go ahead and grab your Bible, look at verse 1 here. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself. So excited to be with his brothers, to be in that moment. That he's, he told his attendants to leave. He cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there's no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. 
And by studying, I found that this is actually the first time that Joseph began to speak to his brothers using their native language, Hebrew. All the times and all the interactions before this moment with his brothers had been done through an interpreter. And you think about it, interpreters don't communicate a native language well, right? They're very robotic. It would be like me preaching this message to you in Siri, right? It just wouldn't have the same effect. And uh, communicators that, you know, interpreters, they don't communicate feeling well or emotion well. But Joseph knew that the way to effective communication is through a native tongue. It allows you to communicate effectively. It allows you to connect with a person hearing. See, even missionaries know this, that missionaries who go to other countries to share the gospel, they know that they need to learn the language. It's a crucial element. And so, listen, as witnesses, we need to speak the language of today. We need to find common language where we can communicate the gospel. If you want to talk to a teenager, good luck giving them a phone call. Right? They're not going to answer. In fact, I've done that to my students just to freak them out at times. But if you send them a text, it's the common language. And to reach our neighbors, our co-workers, a relative, sometimes we need to learn their language. You know, Joseph also did something I think is very important. He looked people in the eye. Look at verse 3 and 4. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. His father still living. But his brothers were not able to answer him. Listen, because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Now this, in this moment, I find is that probably the first time that Joseph begins to, to take off his Egyptian attire so that his brothers could actually recognize who he was. And it was in this moment that they started to lock eyes for the first time. They could see each other. And they got to recognize who this man was. It was Joseph, the, their brother that they sold into slavery. And in fact, it says there that they were terrified because they saw his eyes. They recognized him. I find it also interesting that Jesus, that, sorry, not Jesus, but Joseph here says, come close to me. Come close. And when you think about it, there's something about this. See, at a distance, people really can't be seen. Good conversations can't be had. Stories and life can't be done or shared. You know, at a distance, I sometimes think it looks like Facebook, right? Like you really can't really get to really know somebody through Facebook or social networking, but you can get to know somebody around a campfire. You can really get to know somebody around the dinner table with good laughs, ribeyes and steaks or car rides and road trips. See, that's close. That's one-on-one. -on -one. That's eye-to-eye. -eye. Joseph did both of those things. He looked the brothers in the eye, and he brought them close. Interesting what that looks like today with six-foot distancing. But there's something there. There's a principle there that I think is important in how we do ministry and how we become a witness that we invite people into our lives and we allow them to get close to us. We allow them to see our house a mess. And that our kids aren't, don't have it all together. But we bring them in. I think of it this week as I got to sit, got to hug, and I got to be with a woman who lost her husband. 
There was no social distancing in that scenario. She needed to be close. I was there to comfort her. Joseph goes on to think this one of the most incredible moments as he stares at his brothers and what they did to him. Is This is what he does. He offers them grace and not revenge. Verse 5, it says, And now, this is what he says to him, Do not be distressed. He even goes on and says, Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. And then he goes this, Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. I don't know what you, if you got what you just said there, but it's absolutely incredible because this is an incredible moment. Years in the making... His brothers are now face to face with him. And when we begin to think about what pain and hardship and difficulty these brothers had caused for Joseph, they sold him into slavery. He went from slavery into jail because of them and how long it had taken for this moment. I can only imagine what Joseph had thought about what he would have liked to say to his brothers. Or I can think of what I would like to say to someone who did that to me. And I'm telling you, it wouldn't be pretty. Boy, would I love to tell them off. Or to tell them how horrible of a person they are, what they caused and what they've done to me. Man, I can only imagine, but it's amazing to me. Joseph does neither of those things. He offers grace. He offers forgiveness. In fact, he goes on to say, listen, no, no, he tells them to forgive themselves. Look at that there in the scripture. He tells them, I want you to forgive you. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me. Here's what he says. And I'm sure his brothers said, wait, what? (laughs) Not to be angry with ourselves. That's not the words they thought they would hear that day. I can imagine them thinking, we don't need to plead for your forgiveness. We don't need to offer ourselves. We don't need to sacrifice something. We don't need to do something for you. Or maybe they even go a little step further. You're not going to punish us in this moment or kill us or have us killed because he surely had the power to do that. They were in his hands. They were in the hands of Joseph, but Joseph decides to forgive. And I want you to think about this for a moment because this is a very powerful moment. There's not a single thing his brothers have done to deserve the forgiveness. There's nothing they earned it. There's nothing they did to earn it nor deserve it. But Joseph finds it in his heart to forgive them. Man, does this not point to God? That he offers us grace and mercy, and forgiveness, despite what we've done, good or bad. There's nothing we could do to earn it, but he offers it to us. And there's nothing too bad that he won't forgive. The free gift of salvation pointed to right here through Joseph. Hmm. Amen. Thank you, Joseph. And in this, he continues to point to God The fourth thing Joseph did was point to God. Look at verse 6 and 8. 
For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for, for the next five years, there's going to be, there was going to be no plowing and reaping. And this, he, this is what I love, Joseph. Here's who points it out. He says, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on this earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it's not you, Joseph's brothers, who sent me here, but God. How incredible of a perspective is this? That Joseph sees the awful things that have happened to him, not, not as an act of man, but rather of God. It was God's plan. It was God who orchestrated this all. In fact, Joseph says it three times in that passage. If you want to go through and underline it, look at it. God sent me here. It was God's plan. It was him behind it all. And we also notice in this conversation that, listen, Joseph doesn't even really speak much about himself. In fact, Joseph speaks more about God than himself. Constantly pointing, constantly saying, it's God, it's God. It's, it's, it's as though this. Do you remember those pictures where you were at the mall called the magic eye photos? Uh, we got a picture of one of them there. It, it's these weird images, and as you stared at it long enough, you get to see the deeper meaning behind it. There was another image there. And see, I think Joseph looked at his situation looked at his life, and he could see behind it. And behind the different pieces were there. The image was God. God's hand, God's sovereignty in his situation. What looked like suffering and hardship and difficulty, all pointed the pieces put together, point to God. It's an amazing perspective. And here, here's the good news for us. <laughs> is that we get to help people do that in their own lives. That as a witness, we get, to, we get to share and point people to God and say, listen, God is good. God is gracious. God is forgiving. We get to share this and talk about our God that way. And maybe also help people point their pieces together and say, that happened in your life for a reason. We may not know it now, but we hold true. We know who God is. And he works these things out. We get to point to God, people. We get to point to God. It's a beautiful thing. Lastly, I find Joseph did something pretty incredible. He, he, he was generous when it wasn't easy. Skip down quite a few verses there, down to verse 21. It says, so the sons of Israel did this. And this is the brothers returning back home. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh commanded. And he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver, five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt. See, Pharaoh, the man in charge, commanded a cart. But Joseph, out of his own pocketbook, out of his own wealth, took the extra step. Out of Joseph's own heart, he blessed them 
with more than what was required. And he went out of his way to take care of them. Now, some of us may look at that and go, that's easy because they're his brothers and his family. But I would argue with that statement or that thinking is that this, his family makes it even more difficult to do such a thing. It's true, family grudges last longer than grudges from a stranger. I mean, there, there are some family grudges that divides families for years or maybe even decades. Uh, some of you may have family you don't visit. Or we don't go see them. We don't go do that. They, they want nothing to do with us. Or you know what happens with family. And you know the scenarios like that. Family doesn't make it any easier. In fact, wounds from a family member are closer to the heart. But Joseph was still able to be generous. And maybe you're thinking, well, that's maybe because he was rich. So that makes it easier for him to be generous in this season. Can I point out that it was a time of famine? In fact, there were five more years to go. And the truth is, we've really come to realize this, that famine makes people go crazy. I mean, I just need to bring up the toilet paper shortage we've had this past month and how crazy people got about toilet paper. Right? See, in famine, our inclination is to hold on to our stuff, is to store up and to, to, to make sure our families are okay. And I get that thinking, but I find it very interesting that in this situation, in the famine, Joseph was generous. He went out of his way to take care of, really, you could almost consider his enemies. Reminds me of Jesus' words, Bless those who curse you. And Joseph demonstrates it so well for us. And here's the deal, church. I think in this season, in this opportunity before us, this is our chance for faith to arise. For us to be different. For the church to be what we're called to be. The light. This is our opportunity to be much like Joseph that, that, that we, we are generous, that we offer grace, we offer forgiveness, we draw people close. You know, you think of the earlier church during pandemics, they were taking care of the sick and the hurting and the dying. The church was there. They were the hands and feet of Jesus. And I want to tell you that it's not by accident. That's where God had them. And today... It's not by accident for you and for I that this occurs in our lifetime. Not by accident that God has placed you in your neighborhood, in your street, in your job. It's not by accident God has put you where you're at. But the family that you have and the friends you have, it's not by accident in this season that we are here. We're here now for a reason. And it's our chance to be Jesus. It's our chance to be the church, his bride. It's our chance to, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Will you do it? Will you live it out? Because this is what I was thinking, like, what will the history books say about us? What are they going to say about this time frame we're in? From the pandemic 
to the rioting, to how we treat one another, how we live it out, how we witness what we say, what we do, what will they say about us? It may not be history books, it may be Netflix documentaries, but what are those going to portray? Will they look, look back at us and say, man, they lived it out. They loved their neighbors well. They loved God well. I pray that's us. And so I want to challenge you two very practical things. The first is to make that phone call. I made mention about family issues and to make that phone call and to seek out that family member that there may have been a divide. There may be some history from the past, but to take this moment as an encouragement to pick up that phone call, to pick up that phone and make that call. To also look at this week, what opportunities God puts before us. That really, if this is our time, then God is giving us opportunities to do exactly what Joseph do, did, and that was point to God. So those conversations with strangers, those conversations with our neighbors, no longer shall we make excuses, we'll get another chance, it'll be another time, but to be courageous this week, whatever that opportunity may arise, let us be bold. And secondly, maybe we just need to extend our hands and say, God, I'm much like the disciples before Pentecost, and I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need the power to do that, to live it out, to walk it out, to talk it out. I need the Holy Spirit's power. So would you extend your arms just like me? And right where your house, wherever you may be, just take a moment and do this. And let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come upon us now as he did with the disciples and he's done for generation after generation as he'll do so right now in your living room to come and fill us and empower us to be the church. Let us do this now. Close your eyes with me. Father, Holy Spirit, we invite you to fill us more to embolden us, to be your church, that we would not fear man, but we'd be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You'd give us the words to speak, the opportunities before us. You would come upon us in the might. Oh, Jesus, fill us now, I pray. And as some pick up that phone and they make that phone call, may you just be so close. As they offer grace or they seek forgiveness from another family member, that God, you'd be present in that conversation. That you would, move, or you would mend those wounds. You'd be present with your people. And so, Father, we pray all these things in your name, knowing it is you that put the pieces together. We know that it is you that is sovereign, knowing that you have us in such a time as this to be your church, to be your people. We pray this in all God's people said, amen.